Queerbrood acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past and present, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. Sovereignty was never ceded. Recording in progress. Welcome to Queer Brood, a show about queer families, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne. I'm your host, Lauren Bull. In today's episode, Anya Saravanan and I had the pleasure of speaking to Paul and Brent about their beautiful queer family. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. My name is Brent Allen, uh, and my pronouns are they, them. Uh, I've been living in Australia for about 25 years and I've been with Paul. Uh, We live north of Melbourne um, on a property, off-grid mud brick house, uh, incredibly beautiful. um, We call it Buggery Acres. um, And it is a haven for ourselves and our chosen family. Uh, And uh, my name's Paul and my pronouns are he and him. And uh, I'm uh, Brent's husband and partner and co-daddy and yeah we live out on this intentional property um beautiful in the in the middle of a forest um big big lovely uh space and um one of the things that's been really special for us over the 15 years we've been in that place is that we get to share it uh with some uh, amazing people who've become part of our family um would either of you feel comfortable telling us more about that chosen family and how how you found these people and what that means to you yeah, I guess you know most people would have a circle of friends, uh, and and that's essentially the kind of foundational unit that that leads to to a family. Um, I'm really conscious of our place in a, a longer narrative of of queer history and the the importance um, that families of choice have played in our uh, to our com- our community over a long time, and in particular. Um, you know, as an older gay man, I I remember a time when it was really quite normal um, for queer people to be rejected by their biological families uh, and to be ostracised and to be cut off uh, from families, e- either through direct kind of violence and shunning or just through the knowledge that they w- they're no longer welcome or that they, they can't be their authentic selves within their families. And that, of course, still happens today. That is not something that's only historical, um, but it, uh, hopefully it happens a lot less than it used to. So in, in, when I came out as a gay man, it's a really commonplace thing for people to have a particularly older gay friends who they knew as auntie or mum or dad or that they had a kind of family-like relationship. Uh, and often uh, older, older uh, queer people would play a, a mentoring and supportive and uh, protective role uh, for young queer people coming out in the community. That wasn't something that happened to me in particular, uh, but that was something that happened uh, you know, around me and that I think is a really important part of our history as queer people. Um, so um, in our life, we have some really incredible friends and for a number of reasons, a lot of our friends are much younger than us. And of course, friends lead to friends and 
and friends introduce you to their friends. So we just have a very large cohort of, of much younger friends that we have had some tremendous uh, times in our place that we, we've been able to have people uh, come and stay with us and, and visit us. You know, over time, you come to know people as more than friends. And, uh, you know, we put a name on that and we call them our family. I guess for me, I, I mean, I echo everything Paul just said. As an expat Canadian, um, family means uh, a different thing when you live on the other side of the world. And um, you have to find family, not to replace your biological family, but in order to have familial networks, um, you are in a position, say, either by marriage, which Paul and I are, um, but even before we were married, you know, you adopt another family because you're in a relationship with someone. And I guess I would like to put forward the question of what constitutes a relationship. And a relationship is one that's bound by love, trust, and respect. And, you know, the people that we allow into our lives, um, and if they can meet those criteria, do they not then form a form of relationship with you? Naming that relationship by using a term that we often quarantine for biological family, son, niece, daughter, nephew, aunt, um, all of those things are just words, really. It's underneath what counts and it's underneath what matters. My biological family is fantastic um, for the most part, but I have to say, you know, living uh, this far away for this period of time in my life, so long, you know, nearly a quarter century, that um, I see the value of my chosen family, not as more or less than my biological family, but in a very different way. And so long as they can meet those fundamental values of what constitutes a productive and wonderful relationship, then I think they're my family. Whether I've known them since I was born or whether I met them online a couple months ago and we clicked and we've had wonderful conversations. That was really beautiful. Thank you both. The next question is, who were your or are your queer role models? I, I think I have uh, two types of role models in my life. Uh, uh, and they come from a spectrum of gender and ethnicities and sexualities. Uh, and those are the people that I can touch and hug and love and cuddle and joke with. It, it, well, well, we're making a pasta. <laughs> and then there are the other ones who I probably, I may have never met live and in person. Uh, I've read about them. Sometimes I get to meet them. Um, but they are the people who bring joy and, and value and, and wellness to my life. So there are two types. If you wanted me to give you names of people, I mean, there are some very, very famous people <laughs> who I admire and respect uh, for, you know, their uh, work in the world as someone who's, who's dedicated their life to the nonprofit sector and, and working for social change. Those are the people who inspire me. But likewise, you know, so do uh, my family and my chosen family who, who I look at and I'm so deeply proud of. 
I particularly say that we have two amazing friends who live in London uh, who've been in a relationship longer than, than we have. And they're involved, or one of them is involved in a HIV response, which is how Brent and I met and how we know a lot of people around the world are, are connected to us through that activism work. But um, Will and Aaron, I remember many years ago, we were staying in London with them and just reflecting with Brent about what an incredible friend they had because they had you know a lot of of people who were very uh, switched on and engaged lots of of people coming and going in their house and that they were spending time with socializing and we were living in Sydney at the time which is not a city that has a great kind of history of activism and, and art and creativity the way Melbourne does uh, and we really consciously said that well, that was the sort of friendship group and family that we would like to to uh, engender in our own life and so so I think that's something that's been in the back of our minds always and just two incredibly impressive uh, beautiful people who who uh, know how to create uh, friendship groups and family um Brent I was wondering if you might in this context want to talk about Rick and Terry or Ken yeah yeah you know there's um as a young gay man uh coming out in rural Canada, uh, there was not a lot of role models to, to kind of look up to. And at the time, you know, this would have been uh, mid late 1980s. Um, there wasn't anything even sort of virtually, you know, we didn't have online. And the, and the characters I saw that were gay on television were uber camp and kind of scary to me at the time. And then I met, I, I was, I started volunteering in the age, in the response to HIV. And I, I, I have a, I have a, a tremendous capacity to basically talk underwater. So I started talking about what I think needed to change in order to support gay men and, and sexual decision-making and risk. And anyway, I met this fabulous um, man from, uh, who was working in Ottawa. And he, he was like, we like people who talk like you. So flew me out to, to, to Ottawa and I am, um, started working at a higher level, at a national level in the response to HIV. And then I met these, this couple, Rick and Terry, who um, I'd like to think of as my gay dads, uh, two amazing men who introduced me to concepts uh, even after my university degree that my undergrad that I had never thought of, community participatory action research. Like, wow, right? Population level health promotion. I was just wound up in all these ideas and, and these things they were sharing with me. And those three men in particular have marked my life forever. I think our chosen family is intentional. Like we don't walk around the street and say, hey, wanna be a part of my family? It is something that you think about, you decide and you feel, like you just feel it. And Paul and I feel family members. Like we feel the chosen family. You're tuned in to Queer Brood, a show about queer families produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I feel like as I've grown older, not not that I'm really old or whatever, but you know, it, even as a, when I first came out as queer and sort of realised that I have to kind of make my own family because my biological family wasn't great with it or whatever, I did do that thing of if you're queer, you're my family and really met some really interesting characters who didn't feel like home. And then as you grow older, you sort of start to distinguish what the feeling is between, you know, people who are queer and people who are queer family. And I just, I'd like to ask you about that. Is that how your ideas of family have shifted over time? 
Yes. And in fact, can I just say even further to that point, there are some members of my biological family that I consider part of my queer family. Mm-hmm. They've become queer adjacent. And in some cases could be queer um, uh, because of, there's a level of sharing and intimacy that goes beyond, uh, it's intentional. It's, it goes beyond the notion that we just share a bloodline. Oh. Look, one thing I would say is that um, when you get older, um, the way in which you make friendships and the meaning of friendships and, and, and uh, close relationships really changes. Um, and in particular, I think for us, you know, when we're, if we're meeting a younger person, it's not going to be that instant kind of like you, have, you love the same shows or you like the same music, but you don't have those kinds of, of things. So I think for me, it's often about, you know, what's, what's the work this person's doing? What's their potential? What are they trying to kind of achieve in the world? Uh, and how can I support that person and help them to make the person of themselves that they are becoming? Uh, and, you know, particularly people who are in their you know, late 20s and early 30s are often on that kind of cusp of becoming. Uh, and I uh, remember that time in my own life uh, as being an incredibly important time. And it's really a great privilege to be able to, um, you know, bring someone into your life and investigate, you know, co-investigate with them what it is that their passion is. We have one person in our family who we are especially close to is our son, uh, Tyler. And he he came into our life as a 23-year-old, um, fresh out of um, university, not too sure what he wanted to do in his life. And he's now working on a PhD about HIV and AIDS in China in the 1980s. We have um, been able to inform that and to not to guide him so much, but to, to just be part of that journey for him academically and, and in terms of his research interests and in terms of so many other um, things that, that he does. So, yeah, it's just that, you know, it really is a tremendous privilege to be part of that process of becoming for someone. Um, I'm always kind of developing and changing, but there is that incredible moment um, that happens uh, in your 20s and 30s. Also, I think that there is, a, there is something that happens because of the sexualized nature of our, of our community in many ways. There's this sense that um, becoming family uh, has to involve sex and, or, or sexual relations of some kind. And you know, I absolutely do not think that's the case. A number of times I've been introduced to people and, and they're just like, wow, you're just, you just really want me to be here for me. And I'm like, yeah, you know, my, my role in supporting, and a lot of our family members are younger, but not always, um, is to help you understand how to be better than you ever thought possible. And if I've achieved that, then I see that as my caregiving role that I've, I've grown into. As you both know, we, we wanted this episode to be about the idea of the queer elder. So not necessarily somebody old, age-wise, but in the role that you're both talking about in that sort of mentoring and parenting kind of capacity. It seems pretty clear where you both sort of see yourself on that spectrum, but I'm interested in when you decided or, or when it happened that you that you came into that role and how that's developed and, and yeah, and how that feeds into buggery acres and, and all of that. One thing I'd say about the notion of queer elders is I'm always cautious about the word elder because um, that's a word that has a really deep meaning for Indigenous uh, First Nations communities in Australia. So, and it's also not a title that I would give myself. 
Uh, you know, I wouldn't describe myself in, in that way. If other people choose to describe me in that way, that's um, a great compliment, uh, but it's not, not how I describe myself. My friend Johnny Seymour in Sydney has been very beautifully uh, outspoken about the notion of queer elders, and he likes the term queer older, uh, which I think is a lovely uh, approach because it still has that resonance, but it also preserves the meaning of, of elder for Indigenous people. But in terms of my um, kind of experience as someone who has grown older, for me, because I have been living with HIV for more than 30 years, it's a surprise uh, to be an old person. Um, I certainly didn't plan for it. I expected that I would um, not live past the age of 35 and I'm now almost 60. So it's, a, it's an incredible privilege for me personally to be an older queer person. And I, I take that very seriously because... Um, there is a gap in our community, particularly for gay men of my age and my experience, um, you know, to bring that historical understanding of what we went through in our 80s and 90s uh, and beyond um, into the world today. I'm not unique in that way, um, but certainly for me, the way that plays out in my own mind, I think it's really important that the, this time that I have that I never expected to have is used fruitfully uh, and not just for myself, and not just for my families, but for my community. Yeah, I would, I would very much echo the notion of un trying to unpack my sense of being older. Uh, and I, I definitely value my age in the same way that Paul has, because we both live with HIV, uh, me for almost 25 years. And it's, uh, it is a privilege to be older, and it is a privilege to have young people and their energy around. It's just, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. And, and to watch someone, to have the luxury of watching a person change and grow, go through problems, solve them, need some help, ask for help, provide the help. You know, um, watching that transition is something I never thought I would have because I never thought I was gonna have biological kids. So I, I, had, I guess at my younger age, I just thought, oh, that would never happen to me. I'm never going to see someone grow, change, get married, have their own kids. You know, like that heteronormative narrative. I never bought into it. I never thought I would have it. But in some ways, I am kind of having it now. And I treasure it and I love it. I love being around young people. The energy they have, the enthusiasm about life, um, the rose-colored glasses and the optimism piques my interest. Um, and I love... I, I love giving that back to them as well, finding the, finding the possibilities about of, of moving forward and what that means, holding their hand when they're down, but, you know, not saving them. You know, I don't see my job as an older person to save anyone. God, I can barely save myself sometimes. My uh, joie de vivre comes from watching them change. I just feel like that was perfect. I think it's covered everything we had here in terms of ideas that we wanted to unpack. It was beautiful. Anya, what do you think? Yeah, gorgeous. I just had one more question though. Sorry, this always happens. <laughs> um, for you, Brent, because I followed your journey, I think maybe it was a couple of years ago when, I could be wrong, when you came out as non-binary and started using they, them pronouns. And, um, mm. and it's been so fabulous watching that journey. And how has that been for you? How have you know, if, if they have our discussions about gender in, in your community in particular, how have they evolved? 
Oh, it's, uh, it's a great question because I credit young people for this journey and this, these choices I'm, I'm making now. I never realized how much I needed to outwardly express my identity uh, through my chosen style and fashion. And it was only because of younger people and watching their bravery that I felt I could do this. It wasn't from watching older people, it was from watching younger people do this and go, you know what? I can just do that. You know, I can do that. And why aren't I doing that, right? I'll send you a piece that I've, I've sent around to our family members about um, an additional choice uh, that is offered to them around my name, uh, which is Mavi, which uh, for me, sounds a bit like mother, but also emphasizes the be, being, uh, caring, and uh, I'll send it to you so you can have a read of it. I send it to people who I trust can understand it because I don't, you can call me Brett, you can call me Alan, you can call me Brent, you can call me Hey, Oi, I don't care, but um, I respond to just about anything, but Mobby has become a, a way that I feel uh, like a caregiver. Well, lovely to meet you, Mavi. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much to our amazing guests, Paul and Brent, for their time and openness with us today. We hope their stories have helped any listeners thinking about how they might grow and expand and cherish their beautiful queer families. If this episode brought up anything for you, anything you'd like to talk about, you can call QLife on 1300 727 or visit their website at qlife.org.au where you can connect via web chat with someone between 3pm and midnight. Queer Brood is produced and presented by a group of queer and trans broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne with financial support from the city of Yarra here in Nam. The theme music for Queer Brood is produced by Darcy O'Connell. Queer Brood programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au and listened to as podcasts on your favourite podcast app.